Greetings and welcome to Pops Collection, where we dissect and reflect on a movie or TV show from my Pops Collection. I'm Ron Tweedy. Joining me is Pops, and today we're going to be talking about Black Panther. Uh, greetings. I uh, hope everybody's got their cup of coffee, and uh, they're waiting to have some fun and listening to some <sighs> stimulating conversation. To say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know... In the times that we're living in right now and the things that are going on, mm-hmm. uh, re-watching this movie, you know, some of it uh, rang true. Some of it I thought was a little on the overboard side. But, hey, it's all good. Yeah, we'll get to that. I think it, it is very interesting re-examining the movie. Like you said, today is kind of um, – we're kind of in a different spot. Uh, but the uh, movie itself, when it was released, um, there was a bit of uh, conversation going around about these issues as well. It's just um, uh, it's been uh, exacerbated a little bit just because everybody being cooped up uh, inside. Our attention is easily directed towards different things uh, really quickly, and because we don't have the day-to-day stuff uh, normally keeping us busy, then we can't, you know, sit back and look at some of the uh, underlying issues that are happening or not happening, or what uh, the media wants to portray and have us uh, talk about. So, oh yes, they decide what we listen to, how aggressive they're going to push the issues. Yeah, you know, for instance, NFL Network. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know what a big uh, football junkie I am. I do. Ninety percent of the shows that they're talking about are dealing with this issue right now that uh, has been going down. Yeah. And to the point of you turn it on and say, we already heard that discussion <laughs> six times. Yeah. The same discussion. Yeah. I don't know. I have a problem, a little bit of a problem with it, but... Yeah, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, we will. Yeah. But uh, what I'd like to talk about, let's start off with, this was a very good movie. Yeah. In some aspects, the release date on it was January 29th, uh, 2018. Right. Uh, that was in the Dolby Theater. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, almost your mom's birthday. Right. It got its U.S. release. Mm-hmm. A 200 mil budget. Right. But well, well received. Yeah. One point, almost 1.35 billion. Mm-hmm. It was like 1347 or something like that. Yeah. But considering the context of this movie, mm-hmm. and one thing I want to discuss uh, that we'll discuss a little later mm-hmm. uh, is that this is really a different kind of hero. Right. You know, uh, in numerous ways. Mm-hmm. What I think, uh, let's just get started and I guess we'll hit the topics as we go. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah. You're, you're the you're, you're the younger, I'll let you do the lead on that. I'm the, I'm the OF okay. in this particular case. Okay. Uh, well, I think the first thing we should mention is that uh, the character or the source material for this film Uh, has a very long lineage. The uh, first appearance of the Black Panther was in a Fantastic Four book, issue number 52, 
and um, he was kind of a mysterious character. You know, he, he had these powers. He had uh, he was the ruler of the kingdom of Wakanda, just like in the film. And uh, he had uh, lots of different uh, technological advantages over the Fantastic Four when he confronted them. And so after the while, he became an ally. He became an Avenger. There's all kinds of uh, adventures that uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther, uh, went on. And it's been through a number of different books, through a number of different writers. And so, um, you know, the source material is uh, very rich and it's got a bunch of uh, places to pull from. So... Uh, we'll be, you know, uh, hitting those things as we as we get there. Yes. Well, originally, uh, you know, in the comics, he was king from his youth. Yes. You know, whereas in this story, it, it takes place. Um, well, the film starts off long, long time ago. Yeah. Uh, thousand years ago according to what they had said yeah if you want i can i actually got the clip of the story that would be awesome of home so let's listen to this uh and then we'll talk about it uh, a little bit more baba yes my son tell me a story (laughs) which one the story of home millions of years ago a meteorite made of vibranium the strongest substance in the universe struck the continent of Africa, affecting the plant life around it. And when the time of men came, five tribes settled on it and called it Wakanda. The tribes lived in constant war with each other until a warrior shaman received a vision from the panther goddess Bust who led him to the heart-shaped herb. A plant that granted him superhuman strength, speed, and instincts. The warrior became king and the first black panther, the protector of Wakanda. Four tribes agreed to live under the king's rule, but the Jabari tribe isolated themselves in the mountains. The Wakandans used vibranium to develop technology more advanced than any other nation. But as Wakanda thrived, The world around it descended further into chaos. To keep vibranium safe, the Wakandans vowed to hide in plain sight, keeping the truth of their power from the outside world. And we still hide, Baba? Yes. Why? So that's the story of Wakanda. Yes, uh, I know. And it was also, that was my first paragraph. So thank you very much that we don't have to go through my first paragraph. It's a good thing. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it also was a time for a good joke uh, for me and your mom, because when they said, warrior shaman, mom said, what's a shaman? Uh And I told her, well, you know, it's... uh, toilet paper that you're not supposed to squeeze oh okay yeah all right yeah she <laughs> and then i said no no that's not what it is yeah uh if i believe isn't a shaman like a holy man yeah shamans are a medicine man you know a couple of different things that they have categorization shamanism is the belief that it's kind of like a 
a branch off of animism where you can definitely it's alluded to that they believe in a panther goddess right goddess i think yes fast is right. the, the panther um the, wakanda does have a number of different cults that are dedicated to different type of animal gods um in this movie we don't see it but in the in the book you know they have a a lion cult and they have a uh a crocodile cult and so um some things well are, the jabari right. are uh yeah. gorilla yeah white gorillas yeah they, yes so mm-hmm you know that at the end of my paragraph i've got in parentheses reminds me of stories of atlantis uh-huh sure because it's very similar to the different mythology and stories that we've heard about atlantis their technology was far superior mm. they were way ahead of their time yeah that's interesting you know so yeah i mean it's a similar quite uh type story yeah uh, we'll get later in, there's even another mythological place that we'll hear about from somebody that's in interrogation when we get to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but I mean, it's a similar type situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But from there, uh, we jump to 1992. Yeah, yeah. The um, it, It's interesting, this... Uh beginning part we get uh, another flashback to the early 90s and so um, this t- seems to be a, a place where they like to go to set up these things and so we're, we're in LA this time and uh, we're at some uh, inner city location where we have uh, two guys that are uh, planning to do some sort of action with uh, weapons and uh, basically they're they're interrupted by two uh, Grace Joan looking chicks right Yes, that's what they say. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, blows me away, too, because Grace Jones mm-hmm. originally had her, like, uh, a butch haircut. Her, sure. She had, like, a flat top. Yeah. Originally. So I don't ever remember Grace Jones being bald, but hey. I don't remember either. But anyways, uh, that back when I was growing up, a uh-huh. place like that was known as the projects right yeah that's what they would call that it usually was a county or a state mm-hmm. area where they for low income housing sure and uh so that's what the kind of place was right this is where i want to point out mm-hmm. that we learn that uh, the people that are selling the guns yep one of them is the king's brother Yes, that's great. That's correct. And that would be King T'Chaka. Yeah, T'Chaka is the king at this point. Yes. And, and his brother is Njobu. Unjobu, yeah. Njobu. Njobu, okay, yep. Yeah, so okay. th- we should mention that the they do have uh, two primary African languages that are used in this film. And so the first one that's used by uh, pretty much all the Wakandans are, it's called Kosa. Yes. And so you have that, and then you have the uh, Ingbo, which is uh, spoken mostly by the Jabari. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. So T'Chaka confronts his brother. They find out that they that Unjobu is responsible for a uh, theft of vibranium by a guy named Ulysses Claw, who we've seen a couple different times now. And he has captured it. He's killed people. Uh, in Wakanda to get away, and the idea was that Unjobo was going to go back to Wakanda for punishment, 
And we kind of just get from there, we don't get the whole story of what happened there. And then we kind of get a flashback to another little boy who's playing uh, basketball in, um, in the, you know, the right, the playground. It's kind of like a playground, or, but it's a lot or, more, yeah, stark looking, you know, there's not a whole lot there. You have a, just like a basketball court. Yeah. But it's like a, you know, milk crate for the basket and everything. So you can tell it's a very and poor a, neighborhood. And a piece of plywood. Yeah. Right. For the backboard. So um, also, I want to point out we uh, get introduced to another character, Zuri. Yes, that's right. Who was working with mm-hmm. Njobu. Right. And uh, the king, mm-hmm. as uh, when confronting his brother about what he did, yeah. he tried to deny it, but he found out that the guy that he was doing it with, Zuri, yep. was a spy. Exactly. Well, they, they both were. So the, that's the other thing that Wakanda has. They have this program called the War Dogs. And what this is, is they're kind of like, they're, they're, they're not spies in the sense of they are committing espionage, but they're kind of more like watchers, um, to borrow another Marvel term. They're uh, being, they're placed strategically around the world to kind of report back to Wakanda about what's happening in the world. That's kind of how they get their intel. I believe it's probably, I'm guessing that they are checking to see how the rest of the world is advancing technology-wise. I I would agree. That's probably their primary thing. Uh, But we can see that once uh, Unjobu, who had uh, some experience in the the U.S. at least, his uh, mission decided to change a little bit. And that's kind of what we're exactly here, uh, where we're at now. So... That's that's the that's the quick breakdown of the of the beginning, the preamble of to the actual movie itself. So a lot going right, on there. Which yeah, oh there was a lot of stuff going on there and we really it takes almost the whole movie to find out how this little tiny bit of story Yeah. Actually everything about that story, how it you know, how it all comes to pass. But sure. We get it in bits and pieces. Yeah. And then from that point, I mean, because what we see is the little boy looking up in the sky and he sees some lights right, right. above their apartment complex and then the lights go. Yeah. So as far as he knows, he I think he has an idea of what it, it is about. Yeah. But the other kids, right. you know, are probably thinking like UFO or something. Sure. Yeah. But I'm... he runs upstairs. Well, we don't know that yet. Well, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Anyways, they take off. Yeah. And um, then we flash to present day. Yes. Yeah. Which is two years after Civil War. Yeah, that's right. And so now no more King T'Chaka. Right. We have his son T'Challa. Right. And we find that he's returning to become king, but right. he's not going to do it unless his ex-girlfriend is there. Right. Exactly. So uh, his ex-girlfriend, who is uh, named Nakia, she is a war dog as well, So, but she is not uh, on assignment in the U.S. She is actually in uh, Nigeria. And so we get this scene where, uh, because she's under deep cover, that uh, T'Challa is going to go uh, pick her up, and Okoye, who is part of the uh, Dora Malaje, which is the elite guard around the throne of Wakanda. Uh, they're both going to go pick her up. And so they interrupt this um, group, kind of looks like Boko Haram, which is a, a extremist Muslim group in Africa. 
um, that it was looking like they were engaging in some sort of human trafficking. They break up the, the thing T'Challa does and Okoye helps them out and uh, they go pick up Nakia to go back to Wakanda for the uh, crowning ceremony. And isn't Okoye the general? She is, yes. Okay, so that's good because that's what I wrote down. Yeah. Yep. I wrote down general, not Okoye, but that's Well, that, okay, that's her name, right? So, Yes, it is. I'm so thankful that you're so linguistical. I'm just trying to do my best to, <laughs> to do that. Um, she's also, we should make a note that she is played by Denai uh, Gurria. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, but uh, she is also Michonne in The Walking Dead. So we have someone yes, that's spanning dual roles, and she does an amazing job here, and she does an amazing job in The Walking Dead. Oh, yes. I, I do want to mention that we, we are seeing some new faces of uh, directing, writing, and uh, composing as well. So we got Ryan Coogler, who is um, directing this one. He's also co-wrote the movie, and he also did uh, Creed. And I think Creed 2 as well. So um, I haven't seen those movies, but I've heard like extremely good things about them. And then the the composer, his name is uh, Ludwig uh, Goransson, maybe. I don't know. He's Swedish. But anyway, he, he also helped out on composing a couple other things with Kugler. So I think they've worked together before, and that's why they pulled him over. So I really do like the uh, score of this movie. I think they really did capture a lot of the African uh, influences from and then uh, you know making them orchestral and then adding instrumentation that's traditionally African it's really cool and um, the other part of it is that the soundtrack was kind of curated by Kendrick Lamar who's a um, hip hop artist and so um, you got that those two working really good together I think in tandem when it comes to the uh, the scoring of the movie and the soundtrack. Well, you know he did. Uh... He spent six months like over in Africa and staying with tribes and, yep. you know, and getting the style of music. So, right. again, he did a wonderful job of that. Mm -hmm. All right. So then, like you say, we'll try to go down a little further. Yep. We'll maybe get to the next 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they get back to Wakanda. There's a bit of a, a meetup with T'Challa and... Uh, his family, so his, his mom and his sister, Shuri. His mom's name is uh, Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett. Uh, so, and, and that's what... Yes, everybody in this movie was, like, yeah. cast perfectly. Yeah, it's like, I was, you know, for a lot of the younger actors, it's like the, you know, first or second time actually seeing them, and it's 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 nice. They, like, I think everybody does an amazing job when it comes to their portrayals, and... Having, you know, folks like Forrest Whitaker, Angela Bassett play the older characters lends a amount of gravitas to the to the film that, uh, you know, it, it kind of gives a little bit more weight to uh, the performances, which is really cool. Right. Well, see, I'd, I'd like to just take one quick second mm -hmm. and just talk about this. Uh, you know, T'Challa mm -hmm. is come back to Wakanda yep. in order to participate in a ceremony yeah. so that he can become king. Right. When we see them flying into Wakanda, yep. it's this beautiful, modernistic, high-tech place right. that is hidden from everybody else. Everybody thinks they're a bunch of old sheep herders. Mm -hmm. But the leaders of Wakanda, yep. I'm going to call them the council, sure, uh, which are the tribes, because we learned at the beginning there were Five tribes and yes. uh, the Jabari 
said we're not going with it, and the other four yeah. uh, became Wakanda. Uh-huh. So, but there is a group that, even though they're modernistic and high tech, yeah, they still want to hold to the old ways, the traditions. Yes, of old, especially the older people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the younger ones, not so much. Uh, his sister, for instance, right. When they were talking about getting into their wardrobe, mm-hmm. she kind of was flippant about it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like it's like that wasn't really what was important. Yeah, there's to her. You know, yeah, I think that's one of the major themes of the film is this uh, constant tension between tradition and modernity and so we see that you're right, absolutely right we see and t'challa is more i think on the tradition side and we kind of see the contrast between shuri and t'challa you know definitely between those two that's for sure and then we have kind of other characters as well that are on the same side we'll see i got a conversation with both Nakia, who's definitely more on the modernist side, and Wakabi, who is, uh, we haven't met him yet, but he's like T'Challa's, one of his best friends uh, of the border tribe. And uh, he also takes a very traditionalist view on how to how to handle things. So we'll, we'll get to that. Right. Well, that's also the general's uh, boyfriend. Correct. Yes. And one other quick thing I'd like to mention. Yeah. Uh, if you recall in Civil War, uh-huh. T'Challa was... Not so much. He was willing to start to bend. It seems like he started to think because his father was still alive uh-huh. and the father was old school and he was trying to be more new school. Well, I think in that movie uh, I'm, a little bit, you know, I'm not sure. I think that and we'll get to T'Chaka, I think, a little bit later because there's some really interesting things that uh, are going on once once T'Challa learns more about his father's past. Um, oh yes, very, very much of an echo of uh, the movie we did last week. So we'll we'll get to that. But um, I do think that we see towards the end of his life, T'Chaka's life, that he was actually going in a different direction. You know, with him trying to lead the Sokovia Accords and 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 things of that nature. Um, I do think it was kind of a. He was ready to step out a little further from yeah. their isolationist. Right, that's my point, uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. So, anyway. They, so, we we get ready to have this traditional ceremony. Yep. Uh, in the water, high above, uh, looks like a fall. Yep. But bef- and there's all the, before that? Before that, we actually go to London. There's a, another scene just before the uh crowning ceremony oh <laughs> yes we meet some more characters right right we get this uh, mysterious uh man who's looking at these ancient artifacts from africa and uh they uh, identify a weapon looks like an axe or something uh that is actually from wakanda and it turns out that it's actually made of vibranium and so there's this big heist scene with a claw and this other guy, we don't know his name yet, but, uh, you know, uh, he's got, um, he's wearing a jean jacket, got dreadlocks. He looks kind of like he's from, he's definitely American from his uh, way he carries himself in his accent. And so they uh, they jack the uh, weapon and he takes a mask and uh, they uh, make off with that. So that happens before 
the uh, the ceremony itself. Okay. All right. You're right. That <laughs> that is true. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Then, all right. That like I said, I'll let you kind of make the flow go, and I'll just throw in my ten cents. Okay. Every once in a while. Okay. That way we'll stay on track. No, hopefully. Yeah, that's fine. So yeah, like like you said, now we go back to the the ceremony. It's um, you know, it, it, I saw some critics say that like you know, trying to look at this from a critical lens, saying, "Hey, this is no way really how you should be selecting a leader." And uh, while I agree, if you're going to look at it from that point, I guess you're right. But the the reality is, and it goes back to what you said, is that there's a deep respect for the traditions of the culture. And, um, you know, it's largely ceremonial. That's right. I mean, up until the surprise entrant at the last minute, uh, T'Challa was going to reign or be crowned unopposed. So, you know, we have the different tribes represented, like you said, uh, it looks like you said on a, on a waterfall, uh, we have the, uh, the four different tribes that, that gathered there. Uh, you have the merchant tribe, the border tribe, the river tribe, and the mining tribe. And uh, like I said, the, none of them offered any challengers. Uh, just to make a quick note that Nakia actually is a part of the river tribe. So she was with her, um, presumably her father. Um, he's one of the, the leaders of the of that tribe. Right, right. But then all of a sudden... Right. We get the uh, the Jabaris. They, they come up and, and uh, M'Baku, who is the leader of the, the Jabaris, challenges the throne with uh, T'Challa. So uh, while this is happening, uh, Zuri, who is the priest of the Panther cult, uh, has given some medicine to uh, T'Challa to take away his Black Panther's power. So he has the strength of a, of a normal, normal man. And so M'Baku challenges the throne. And uh, we get a pretty cool fight scene between them. Oh, yeah, it was excellent. This style of leadership is that the one who is strongest Mm -hmm. should be the leader of the people. Right. That's their belief, and that's part of their tradition. Right. Whereas, like you said, people were critical about that, but not everybody has a democratic uh, society where they vote for their people. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it in some ways this is it's it's not, so it could be, I, I think in my opinion, I mean the the way it used to like a lot of monarchies work is it you know it's it's a passing along from father to son, and that's pretty much it. There's no real opportunity for anybody else to to get in the way you know besides from like you know war right. This, right, other and in this tradition, you have an opportunity. Ex- that's my point. Is that it's not like as I think it, it, it's not like a monarchy, right? And the other part of it is that this ritual combat is not like uh, it's all just brute strength. You actually have to be smart, and you know you're, you're fighting on top of a waterfall, and it's not like to the death. It can be to the death, but uh, you know, or, or if somebody yields, and so. Right, he because uh, in this particular fight, T'Challa, yeah, con- convinces Mbaku, yeah, to yield, right, convincing him that his people need him exactly as ruler. Yep, yeah, and I I do like the there's one part in the uh, in the fight that I do want to just bring attention to. There's there's you know this as the fight goes on, uh, there's a part where Mbaku gets the upper hand. And T'Challa is getting like just 
you know, beat up pretty bad. And, you know, his face is bloody. He's getting knocked around. And he gets knocked head over heels. And, like, he's looking upside down. And we see this really blurry image of his mother, Ramonda. And she yells to him, show him who you are. And that gives him the strength to turn the tide and uh, get him in a, a hold and uh, gets him to yield. And so, um, you know, that's the other, I think, big theme about this movie is about identity, like who somebody is. And so um, T'Challa uses that and who he, you know, who he is and who he is the son of to find the strength in order for him to overcome the adversity. Yes, and to do it in a wise enough way to not estrange the Jabari people. Mm-hmm. You know, even though they are estranged, yeah, to some extent. Oh yeah, but I think his wisdom mm-hmm. is what mends the fences that we see later on. Yeah. Anyway, so he gets that, and then there's a ceremony, if I'm not mistaken, right next. Yeah, for him to take the uh, drug again, the right. bulb of the plant. Yeah, he's he uh, like you said, uh, he he wins, he's crowned, he gets the uh, the ceremonial necklace to confer that he is the the rightful king of Wakanda, and uh, like you said, back at the palace, and uh, the uh, Zuri gives him the heart shaped herb uh, in order to gain the powers back for the Black Panther. And like you said, there's a ceremony of them burying him in some red sand. And then he has a vision of his father on what they call the ancestral plane. Right. And there's a lot of other panthers in the trees. Yeah. And I I would say that for me, visually speaking, this is the most interesting uh, piece going on here. Because it's just like, I, I, though the, they have kind of like a, a plane yeah you know like geographic formation you have the trees and everything and then you have this like purple sky and you have these auroras aurora borealis which normally you would see way north of the equator but you have it here and, and it's just really interesting the way they have it visually set up it's it's extremely striking and i do really love that uh way they decided to to have that set up it's really cool well i likened it to the lion king Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I thought, sure. well, this is definitely a Disney movie, you know? Yeah, that's true. They, anyway, so he, I'm guessing that it must be a, uh, there must be something in this drug that kind of makes him go a little wild because he, yeah. like, after speaking to his father, he gets up and we hear, yeah, uh, Zuri tell him, breathe, right. breathe, right. you know? Yep. Kind of reminded me of the Hulk moment. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, last, a little bit, you know? Sure. Anyway, so now he's king. Yep. He's got his robe mm-hmm. and his sandals. Right. And and he meets with the council. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So they get uh, wind of the uh, theft of the, uh, the weapon and everything, and they found out that it was Claw. And so obviously there's a, a great interest for them to track Claw down and bring him to justice here in Wakanda because he's been running around for the past 30 years. So they want to bring him to justice. So T'Challa decides that he's going to bring with him Okoye Nakia to go uh, get him and bring him back for um, his uh, proper punishment. To face trial. Yes, exactly. Yep. So that, that is the, the plan. 
And uh, before that, he uh, has some conversations with Nakia and with Wakabi about kind of where Wakanda sits politically and how Wakanda uh, should be interacting with its neighbors and the rest of the world. So I want to play that because it actually does bring up some interesting uh, questions about, you know, what is a nation? How should a nation really, you know, um, regard others and, and things like that? So let's listen to this uh, clip okay. here. We'll talk sure. about it. Come home, Nakia. I'm right here. Stay. I came to support you and to honor your father, but I can't stay. It's just... I found my calling out there. I've seen too many in need just to turn a blind eye. I can't be happy here knowing that there's people out there who have nothing. What would you have Wakanda do about it? Share what we have. We could provide aid and access to technology and refuge to those who need it. Other countries do it. We could do it better. You are not like these other countries, Nakia. If the world found out what we truly are, what we possess, we could lose our way of life. Wakanda is strong enough to help others and protect ourselves at the same time. If you are not so stubborn, you would make a great queen. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. Ah, if, if that's what I wanted. <laughs> It last She's still growing. Of course. I see Nakia is back. You guys going to work it out? Tichala. Uh, What's wrong? Nakia thinks we should be doing more. More like what? Foreign aid, refugee programs. You let the refugees in? They bring their problems with them. And then Wakanda is like everywhere else. Now, if you said you wanted me and my men to go out there and clean up the world, then I'd be all for it. But waiting war on other countries has never been our way. Yeah, so we get the thought about, okay, well, should we let people in? Should we let people in? Should we help? Should we not help? So those are complicated questions. And uh, two different, uh, totally opposite points of view. Right, exactly. So, what do you think? Uh, well, <laughs> it's um, I, I do think that Wakabi makes a stronger argument between the two points of view. Nations are a good thing, and borders are a good thing. Um, I think that we see that uh, clearly in the Bible that uh, you know God makes those distinctions, and so. Uh, it's okay for us to have our differences and not necessarily have to let everybody in at the same time. And th there, there are certainly God prescribes ways to, to treat people like the foreigners among you and the uh, sojourners and things like that. But at the same time, uh, you know, there is a clear distinction of nations. And uh, for instance, you know, the whole book of Nehemiah is basically about building a wall, right? Yes. So Absolutely. I do think that there is a, dis a distinction that we need to make between people who are in Adam and who are in Christ. So like Romans 5 gives us that distinction and that, 
either they are our brother and sister or they're our neighbor. And I think those are actually important distinctions we need to make. But at the same time, that doesn't really prevent us from or doesn't um, stop us from treating both of those people, those different categories, neighbors or brothers, with love. And so that's what it boils down to. But the other part is that we have to remember that where we go for that definition of love we go back to the word of God that defines it for us. So uh, it could be more loving or the loving thing to do to make sure that we have strong borders to uh, be better neighbors to the people in our own nation, as opposed to not having any control over anything. So that's just something to think about um, and that we should be using the standard of the word of God for those definitions and for, the way we treat others. Okay. Last thing before, so we can get back to the story, but that is uh, what God told the Israelites. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, I'm giving you this country here. Yep. You got to destroy. When I tell you to destroy everything, you destroy everything. Uh, If I tell you just destroy the men and you can keep uh, everything else as spoils, then you do that. But if I tell you to destroy everything, I want you to destroy everything. Because it's like you say, if they bring somebody into their borders, those people might do things differently and have different ways, and they could influence the citizens of Wakanda. Sure. In this particular movie source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So both his ex and his best friend, yeah. their hearts are in the right place as far as the way that they believe. I agree. Even though they may be a little different. Yeah. Okay. Continuing on. Right. So before they go on the mission, we get this scene where uh, actually once the, I listen to a couple of different uh, featurettes on the movie and I, once they refer to what it was, I couldn't unsee it. So basically this scene now we get with Shuri and T'Challa is basically a scene with Q Branch and James Bond. Yes, it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always think of her as Q. Right. That's what. That's exactly right. So it's, um, it's pretty cool. It, that that, this is the one scene where I don't where Shuri doesn't come off as really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Yeah. But yes, and. I don't know. It's it's where we really get to see her rebel side, I think, you know? Yeah. Yes, I would agree with what you just said. Yeah. We get to see his... Uh, he gets to make a choice of panther suits. Right. And she, she really loves her gadgets. And she definitely, even though she's the younger one, mm-hmm. she likes any time she can stick it to her brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Kick that. Kick the suit again. Go ahead. Yeah. That was, you good. Know. that was good. So anyway, so we get that moment. Uh-huh. And uh, we also, was the time before when he was talking to his best bud, did he make the promise then he was going to bring Claw back? Yes, yeah. Uh, he, when he talked to Wakabi? Yeah, yeah, because Wakabi reveals that his parents were murdered when Claw uh, stole the vibranium 30 years ago. And so... Uh, you know, that that was a promise that T'Challa made for Wakabi as well. Yeah. Good point. Right. So next we go to Korea. Then. Yeah. Yep. That's right. 
What's so, on? Yes. Yeah, they find out that uh, that's exactly where the, the weapons deal is going to happen with the claw and an American buyer. And uh, they infiltrate there because of Nakia's spy craft. She's able to get them entrance into this uh, underground casino. We get our Stan Lee cameo uh, for the movie. He's one of the high rollers at uh, at one of the, uh, the craps tables. And uh, we also get uh, a returning face, uh, Everett Ross, the uh, CIA agent. and Not related uh, to General Ross. Right. We had to make that distinction there. And We already made it. Yep. And so uh, he is the buyer for the vibranium. And so it gets a little crazy at this point uh, when it comes to uh, Claw and his cronies. They are able to enter with their weapons. And uh, it's... Uh, it becomes a big action scene at this point with them trying to chase down Claw with the vibranium and uh, car, two car chases, uh, two yeah car chases that end up you know converging into one, which is which is a pretty cool pretty cool scene. Oh, the everything uh, was very very good. Uh, it was one of the few times that the CG actually linked up really well. Mm-hmm. There were a few times in this movie that uh, not so much it kind of, believe it or not, yep. uh, reminded me of Catwoman. Okay. I hate to say it, but I'm just saying the CG itself. Yeah. Uh, some of the jumping and, uh, you know, things that he did. It was done a lot better in the Civil War movie than it was done in this particular movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually one of the lower points in this movie, some of the CG stuff. Yeah. Still, great chase scene. Yeah. We got a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. I, and like you said, I do think that some of the CG actually was really done well. But like you said, there are particular scenes where it's like, okay, um, yeah, they probably should have rethought it. Or the other part of it is that maybe they could have written it in a way where they didn't have to rely on CG. But that's what we'll talk about that when we get to that. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So let's get to it here from that point. <laughs> The end of the chase, right? We wind up getting Claw, right? Right, exactly. Yep, they get Claw, and uh, he is in CIA custody. And basically, T'Challa, the only reason why he hasn't just like you know picked up Claw and walked away is because he owes a favor to Ross because Ross kind of kept thing, kept things under wraps with him, uh, and and in Berlin with the whole uh, Civil War incident. Yes, but still, it's not. Not good. They no. want to. Uh, they want to keep Claw mm-hmm. and bring him back, and we get this awesome. Claw is somewhat psychotic. I have to say. Oh no doubt. He's definitely a little crazy. You know, he sings songs and he's right. like. Uh, but his story about Wakanda, yeah. to Ross, yeah. is like incredible. I don't know if you got that. No, I, I didn't. Clip. But it's true, though. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing that gets me about the entire thing is that in this one scene where they're interrogating Claw, he's the only one telling the truth in that building, which is fascinating to me. The bad guy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it's really weird. And his ex is in the front of the building, and she's noticing a van going back and forth. Uh-huh. And uh, T'Challa is behind the mirror listening to everything that he's saying. Yeah. And it's like, Ross is going to know now, yeah. you know, but they still think that no big deal. Right, right. 
But uh, unfortunately, uh, something else is getting ready to go on. Yeah, exactly. The uh, people actually behind the weapons deal, which is uh, this other gentleman that we saw at the beginning of the uh, towards the beginning of the film. Right, uh, and we learn his name now, right? Um, not until after they bust him out. After okay, right? Okay. So yeah, he gets bu- claw gets busted out. Uh, explosions, and after the attack, uh, Everett. Uh, jumps in front of a bullet, takes a bullet for Nakia. And so he, he, it's like, you know, in his spine, he's about to die. They use uh, the Kimoyo beads to, or one of them, to put it in his spine to kind of keep him at bay. But they realize they need to take him back to Wakanda in order to actually save him because uh, they have better technology at Wakanda to do uh, that kind of microsurgery. And so uh, that's what they end up doing. Right. Which bodes the. If you're going to share stuff and you've had this ability for a long time, I think that something that should have been shared a long time ago, you know, if you care that much about people. Well, uh, I guess, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, so it's, it, that's the thing that's confusing for me a little bit is that uh, Wakanda has all of this vibranium. And so vibranium is this, I'm having a hard time grasping what it actually can do and what is it not doing. Cause like I I get that their all their technology is powered by this vibranium, but like there has to be other components to these things. It's not like it can just like create electrical power or, you know, power computers or anything like that. I mean, this is just metal, right? So I'm not really sure exactly how, and the other part of it is that, okay, well, if that's the case, I mean, does Wakanda have other natural resources to support all the other stuff besides vibranium? And if not, how are they getting that other material? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's That part to me is a little bit confusing about the vibranium well, thing. I'm going to say that they probably, remember, there is a mining tribe. Sure. And I'm going to say that there's... Uh, most likely other materials there too. Uh, you've heard the uh, legends of King Solomon's mines. There's mm-hmm. been books and stories about that. Sure. Uh, lots of gold, diamonds. I would assume that not only vibranium, but uh, Africa itself is probably rich in a lot of uh, you know natural ores and things of that nature. Yeah. It, it, but know. they never really specify that. I mean, the, the no, whole, no, they don't in this movie. The whole don't. mining operation itself is just for vibranium. But like, you know, because like we we actually see visually, like, and actually that's where the, the final battle takes place. Is that in this giant mine with vibranium? And it's, I, I you know, for me, it's like I, I get that this this stuff has very special powers, but like I don't think it can really be all of the things that they're you know, making it out to be. Right. Well, hey, we can only go by what they say in the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we're not given all the answers, like you said. Sure. But what we find out, like you say, yeah, is after they've uh, got Claw back, yeah. we find that uh, this gentleman in the mask mm-hmm. 
is actually a CIA op. He is, and he had the same ring that T'Challa has from his dad. So yes. uh, he, he saw the ring, and uh, we get the scene afterwards where uh, he is at the airfield with Claw and his girlfriend and this other guy, and they're planning on making their escape. And for whatever reason, he kills everybody, essentially. <laughs> so, Right. He, well... Killed the pilot or killed uh, Claw's friend. Yeah. And then Claw takes his girlfriend. Right. And, you know, is using her as a shield. Right. And, of course, this character that we learn, Mm -hmm. uh, his name, it doesn't matter to him. Right. You know, he shoots right through her. Right. To get to him. Right. Exactly. Yep. So... Uh, we can find out that his motive wasn't strictly uh, for financial gain with uh, uh, vibranium. He actually had ulterior motives. And so they, as the other group, they get back to Wakanda. Shuri's, you know, operating on Ross to get him fixed up. And uh, they they actually do some intel on this, this person now. So they find out his uh, code name was Killmonger. Like you say, he works for the CIA. And uh, he pretty bad dude it's here we actually get the rest of the story of what happened back in 1992 because t'challa talks to zuri exactly yeah he goes to to zuri to get the the truth of what happened and so we find out that the little boy like you said uh that was playing basketball outside was actually the son of unjobu and he was abandoned there essentially by right uh, t'chaka and zuri by his uncle yeah Exactly. So this little boy uh, grew up not now without a father, and uh, he, and obviously with all the terrible repercussions and in that environment, uh, he ends up. Uh, but but the other part of that is that he is also extremely skillful at what he does, and he's also very smart because it said that he went to uh, Annapolis and he graduated at nineteen. And he also went to graduate school at MIT. So this man's very smart, very deadly. So we've got, you know, somebody that's really uh, somebody Somebody you don't want to mess with. (laughs) He's almost a uh, Tony Stark clone, almost. Actually, he's worse than that because he's a a killer. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd say he's more like a a Bucky Barnes, I guess, at this point, or Winter Soldier. Uh, Probably, yes. Yeah. Except he's got a lot of bumps. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so they, they uh, find out who he is. T'Challa gets the truth from Zuri. And, you know, there's this uh, revelation that, hey, uh, this is something that my dad just kind of tried to write out of history and ignore. And this was something that was horrible. And, you know, what do, you, what do we do about this, right? He doesn't have a whole lot of time to think about all of this because Killmonger shows up. At the borders of Wakanda, he and he goes right to this right place. I don't think it, it just had, ended up happening this way. I think I think it was happenstance that Wakabi was right there with the rest of the border tribe, and he sees the body of the man who killed his parents. And it's like immediately he's like, "Okay, this guy was able to get me justice, so I'm with him." Right. I will follow him to the ends of the earth. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This story that you just told. Uh, was kind of shades of Ragnarok. Oh sure, yeah, I was, yeah, hundred percent. Almost the same story, right? 
To, to a point. Right. The, the, the principle that, you know, fathers not, you know, being able, e- either revealing, like, past things that were really bad or omitting those things and not preparing their sons properly for the consequences of those that lie ahead. Right. T'Challa was definitely not prepared for what he was about to... uh, We learned early on in the film Mm -hmm. that uh, when they had that moment with his father that he'd been preparing all his life to be king. Right. Had he known at that time that there was going to be an outside outsider influence of this yeah that could change things then he would have been prepared mm-hmm. oh yeah but he wasn't mm-hmm. and that was a terrible thing his father did right yeah no so, question yeah ag- agreed and so uh because of his peace offering that uh, killmonger brings uh he's able to be granted an an audience with the council and so i've got his uh, confrontation here and i want to listen to it because he uh, starts making some claims that I want to talk through, and uh, this there's this is really the crux of the movie. I think this is what the movie is trying to say, and we'll we'll talk about it once we listen to what uh, Killmonger has to say to the council. Dead, speak. I'm standing in your house, serving justice to a man who stole your vibranium and murdered your people. Justice your king couldn't deliver. I don't care that you brought Claw. Only reason I don't kill you where you stand is because I know who you are. Now what do you want? I want the throne. <laughs> hey, you, the tuna. <laughs> Y'all sitting up here comfortable. Must feel good. It's about two billion people all over the world that looks like us. But their lives are a lot harder. Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all. And what tools are those? Vibranium. Your weapons. Our weapons will not be used to wage war on the world. It is not our way to be judge, jury, and executioner for people who are not our own. Not wrong. But didn't life start right here on this continent? So ain't all people your people? I am not king of all people. I am king of Wakanda. And it is my responsibility to make sure our people are safe and that vibranium does not fall into the hands of a person like you. So there's this really interesting category error I think is committed by Killmonger at this point. And I think it has to do with the fact that they're working with worldly categories on how people uh, are classified. So uh, the Bible doesn't really have a category for race as it is currently defined in the uh, the world. Uh, we have the Greek term ethnos. That is what we should be using as Christians, which, you know, we get the word ethnicity from. And so um, T'Challa is making that distinction, saying that, you know, this ethnicity of Wakandans, these people are my responsibility. I don't have responsibility for people outside of my ethnicity. And Killmonger is saying, no, there's a broader category, 
people who have, you know, from Africa that you have a responsibility for and you've been asleep at the job and they're suffering all over the world because of you and everybody is suffering because of you, right? That's the distinction. That's the claim that he's making. So uh, is that true? I I don't think you can make that argument. Number one, uh, you know, again, what we're doing is what, what Killmonger is doing is actually lumping everybody into a group. And he's saying, I, I know how everybody in this group feels. And does he? I'm going to say no, he doesn't. Uh, secondly, is that just because somebody has leadership over a group of people doesn't mean that they have a broader responsibility to everybody else. God puts nations together in a way to have them take care of their own first and that they have people among them that are not from them to treat them uh, with respect, right? That's that's kind of the idea. But, uh, you know, trying to broaden all this stuff out, especially uh, in the way of war, is uh, very dangerous. Oh, yes. He's uh, definitely is he- trying to head down a... Very bad path. Right. You know, he's, if T'Chaka would have taken him back mm-hmm. when he was a child, right? would he have a different point of view? I, you know, it, it's funny. You, yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up because uh, I could see it going both ways. I could see because of his young uh, upbringing, like as a young child, he could still have that uh mentality and and just bring it with him and he'd have a chip on his shoulder in Wakanda and he'd still wouldn't belong. Right. Uh, You can see that happening. Yes. So, yeah, especially because uh, his father Mm -hmm. was not King. He was the brother of the King. Correct. And, and where did the King send him to Los Angeles all the way to the other side of North America? Well, I don't know if he went there voluntarily or if he was sent there by T'Chaka. That's not really clear in the movie. Right, but what is clear is that the brother said that he saw right the way the people were being treated mm-hmm. and how that he felt that Wakanda should be doing more. So I'm going to say that uh father impressed his views on son. Yeah. And that's probably where he got those views. And I do think that we do need to make the dis- not the distinction, but the um, caveat or the, the just just as a matter of record, if we're uh, looking at this from like a real world perspective, uh, this happened in 1992, which was also the exact same year as the L.A. riots uh, happening because, you know, there was um, an incident with Rodney King. Police officers were filmed, uh, you know, brutally beating him and uh, they ended up not uh, receiving any punishment or not any sufficient punishment, and that resulted in a bunch of riots happening in L.A. And so um, I do think that those two, that that was intentional from the director, uh, absolutely. Oh, yes. So um, that, that I think that, and so this is kind of where we get introduced to a uh, thing that I don't want to go into too much. This is where the roots of critical theory are being introduced into the film. Critical theory at its core uh, uses ultimate categories of oppressor and oppressed 
and that if you're not an oppressor, you're one of the oppressed. And what should happen is that the oppressor should be teared down and the oppressor, the oppressed should be lifted up, right? That's what they want or they say that they want. Um, the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't make those as ultimate categories. Is there oppression in the Bible? Is there the oppressed and the oppressor? Yes, but those aren't the ultimate categories. The ultimate categories are those who are in Christ and those who are in Adam. And the oppression thing is bad and it's evil and wicked. And we should, when we see that, we should uh, speak out against it. And we should bring God's standard to bear when those injustices occur and not our own feelings. We should be always back to the word of God and what does God have to say about what is just and what is unjust. But the other part of it is that we have hope that when King Jesus returns, all will be made right. He will serve justice to the guilty and he will give mercy to the people who um, desire the mercy or who ask for mercy. So that is, I think, the real key to be aware of when you start seeing this take place in this movie. It's not just in this movie. There are tons of movies where this critical theory is in. And once you start seeing it, you can't uh, unsee it, I guess you could say. So just right. just, well, just be aware. It can, it, it can take you down a different road mm-hmm. if you're not careful. Oh, sure. As a human being in this world, when I had my electrical business, my job was to serve my customers, whoever they were. It didn't matter mm-hmm. whether they were a person who was being oppressed or if they were a person that was well off. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't matter what their house looked like or right. what they lived in. The whole idea was that I was there to serve. Yeah. No matter what, and we were, and we are to share and shed the light, God's light, onto others. Yep. Uh, so that they can have a clear vision of the light and not be stuck in the dark. Right. Right. So, what he's wanting to do is to give them the easy way out, mm-hmm. and that's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. That can't be it. That's just the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, or anyway, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that there's other there's another fascinating thing that happens in this scene, um, where there's this this thing where he asks them to ask him who he was. Do you remember that? Yes. And so it, it's it's it goes back to the identity theme of this movie, where like you have to uh, somebody actually has to asks who you are in order for you to identify yourself. And once uh, that happens, the uh, the official from the River Tribe says he's got to know. It's like, okay, who are you? And so that's when he, it's revealed that he is the son of Unjobu, and he, but because he's of royal blood, he is challenging the throne. Uh, right, and he has the right to do that. He does. That's right. So, uh, yep, yeah, that ends up happening. So we get a quick truncated version of the crowning ceremony. And uh, we get kind of a repeat of earlier, except that there's hardly anybody there, just the uh, the officials, essentially. And um, this time it does not go well for T'Challa. No, not at all. Yeah. So uh, He is totally not prepared, but we also have to uh, make a comment that, again, he took the drug that made him lose his panther power, so he was fighting him man on man. Of course. And uh, no mercy from uh, Killmonger. 
True. None whatsoever. Right. Yeah, and we do have to say that he also uh, kills Zuri as well because he do he does know who Zuri is, and so he yeah so he he presumably kills T'Challa. He kills Zuri, and he is now the king of Wakanda. Yes, and uh, he's his ex girlfriend and uh, gets his mother and sister, and they're gonna uh, try to get away. Right. Uh, because they know this guy is ruthless. Yeah, right, rightfully so. <laughs> yes. And so he's taking the, he's drinking the purple bulb mm-hmm. and he's also getting buried in the sand and yeah. we get a time with his father. Yeah. This, this part really is fascinating to me because there, there apparently there is some relation to the kind of vision that the drinker of this has and the location of the location of where the vision takes place and so instead of on the ancestral plane where you have kind of like a serengeti type of environment you actually have the the projects where his his father was killed and so um you know we have this he has the same interaction with his father as t'challa howard t'chaka they still had a conversation but uh, it, it went a lot different. And so you can tell that it definitely affected him in a different way. And uh, once he awakens, he realizes that uh, he's going to have to make sure that nobody else ever gets to uh, usurp be him. Be king again. Right. Yes. Exactly. Nobody is going to be Black Panther ever again. Right. And so he has the, the uh, priestess uh, burn up all the heart-shaped herbs. Uh, thankfully, Nakia was there. Uh, as a spy and she's taking one last herb and uh, she escapes with uh, Ramonda and Shuri and Ross and Ross. Exactly. Oh no, they have to go. Well, they go get Ross. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so then now they're going, uh, they're in their costumes and they're also heading up the mountains. Yeah. Yep. They realize that their best hope uh, to beat someone as strong as, as Killmonger is someone who almost uh, beat T'Challa as well. So their their plan is to get uh, Umbaku to take the herb so he can fight and uh, defeat Killmonger. And, and, and actually, Umbaku has a surprise for them. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah. A, a good surprise. Yes, a well-preserved body of uh, T'Challa in the uh, in the snow. And uh, so they, they are able to uh, to revive him. Uh, with the uh, the last uh, heart shaped herb, and we get another scene on the ancestral plane between T'Challa and T'Chaka, where he confronts T'Chaka about his uh, abandoning of uh, Killmonger. So that uh, that was a pretty rough scene uh, to watch. Panther sickle, yes, it was because thinking all these years that uh, the vision that he had of his father as mm-hmm. a wise and powerful king yeah to find out this is one of the few hero characters mm. where there was actually a killing you know t'chaka killed his own brother yes yes it was like a cain and abel thing well somewhat no i'd say it's in not. a different way yeah uh and he killed him because uh, we found out that he was going to kill zuri right he saved yeah he, he killed him in order to save zuri but I don't know, like, yeah, it's difficult to see exactly what would have happened if he just subdued him instead because he was radicalized at this point. 
uh, Njobu was. Right. Well, again, we'll get that at the end of this movie. Yeah. You know, like father, like son. But mm. I believe that the son's, his thoughts about what he believed is the same thing that his father believed. So and I think that's why the brother would not come back to Wakanda. Sure. Anyway, so we have the panther sickle. Mm-hmm. And instead of burying him in the red sand, they have to bury him in the snow. Right, right. But he does come out of that. Right. Yep. Which there's only one little question flaw in the movie. Another flaw in the movie. Okay. Is that uh, they're standing down. uh, They're kneeling down where T'Challa is at. And the mother asks for the herb. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she's got a bowl and a pestle, and she's grinding it down. Uh-huh. Where the hell did that come from, you know? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure they had something there. Um, right, but I mean, there was nothing there. They just bent down to, I don't know. to see him. How did all of a sudden she have all that stuff? Well, if you remember, when they approached, there were medicine men and women already there. And so I'm assuming they just took it from them. Okay, we'll we'll let that slide then. I'll forget about it. It's okay. No problem. Uh, All right. Yeah, so T'Challa asks M'Baku if he would lend his army to him so he could go and confront uh, Killmonger. And basically, he's like, no, you got you got you deal with your own problems. You, you know, we, we've been uh, independent from you guys for a long time. And just now you come back. I, I saved your life because you saved mine earlier. We're, we're square now. Good luck. And that's it. Yeah, it's all over. Yeah. So if uh, we get now to the, the point where uh, Killmonger has his own plan and basically what he wants to do is send all of the weapons to uh, all of his all the war dogs that are out there already to plan insurrections against the uh, quote unquote oppressors uh, to uh, overthrow them and then uh, I guess have one Wakandan empire to rule them all. So. That's the that's, that's that the evil Black plan. Panther will rule rule everybody exactly or yeah. Killmonger Black Panther that yeah is. that's right so uh, obviously T'Challa can't let that stand so he confronts him and then we get this almost like a civil war type of deal uh, literal civil war not the movie where you have right because Wokabi and his right tribe has. Uh, Decided they would stand behind Killmonger. Exactly. And the Dora Milaje, who is, that's the elite guard that Okoye leads, you know, they're they're loyal to the throne. And so she, Okoye, did not like uh, having to serve Killmonger, but because she's loyal to the throne, she was going to uh, uh, keep her duty to that. But the fact is, is that the... Uh, because... King is still alive. And he has not yielded, so therefore... The, the Dormelage are now uh, able to uh, serve uh, the true king, the king, yeah, T'Challa, and so that so there's a big battle between uh, the Dormelage and uh, uh, Shuri, Nakia, and uh, T'Challa, and Ross is also with them as well. And so uh, while they fight it out, Ross is on another mission to help uh, shoot down the planes that are going to go deliver the weapons and so he's uh, using remote piloting in shuri's lab in order to do that and so that's all going on at the same time so it's pretty chaotic at this point right but we i just want a quick note the remote piloting thing was something that she perfected in the car that black panther used in korea 
Correct. Yeah, we saw the, the first bit of technology there with that. Yeah. Right. right. So she, she had that. And so she was able to explain to Ross how to, yeah. to do it. Yep. And uh, he was successful. Yep. Uh, another CG point here with the rhinoceroses. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. It kind of reminded me of Rhino in the ultimate, uh, Amazing Spider-Man movie. <laughs> okay. Do you remember that? Uh, I mean, I know it was, I, I, I remember seeing it at some point, but I think just due to trauma, I've uh, blocked it out of my head. So. <laughs> No, it, it was pretty forgettable for me. So we'll, uh, yes. I don't really have anything to add to that. Well, it was, hey, I love the actor that played the rhino. Oh, yeah, Paul this, Giamatti. That, yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, Giamatti is just excellent. So, yeah. But that uh, just kind of the way the CG was done, it was very, very similar to that. Sure, sure. I thought, oh, my gosh. I was almost to the point of tempting to say that, hey, you know, j- they just reused some stuff. But no. Not the same company. Exactly. Yeah, totally different. You know, so it was not going to be. But still, CG, not perfect on this, but not too bad. Yeah, the, this this fight scene between the uh, Border Tribe and the Dormelage and, and all of the uh, you know folks happening here, that to me was okay. It was passable. But once the fight between Killmonger and T'Challa goes to the mines, that's to me where it's kind of like, I don't know. I kind of lost interest at that point. It's like I get that they're on the train track when the sonic inhibitors go ahead and do that. It actually makes their suits more vulnerable because the uh, vibranium you kind of like she uh, the she explained earlier that the vibration from the sonic emitters uh, neutralizes the power of the vibranium, which. Plot right, point so wise, that it doesn't explode. Yeah, plot, plot point wise, that makes perfect sense. I don't have a problem with that. I just think the the uh, visually speaking, having two CG characters fight on that train track was a little bit uh, underwhelming for me. Oh no, question that was that was the most Catwoman like part <laughs> of it to me as right. far as the CG. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking. Well, you know what? I think that was back in the uh, early '90s. I think. Well, Catwoman Cat was early 2000s. Again. 2000, yeah, early 2000s. So yeah. CG was a little bit better then, but yeah. this regressed back to that. Yeah, but but in its defense, in the movie's defense, I think that other parts where the CG uh, happened actually was pretty cool. And I would say that the, the way the uh, displays were, trying to think of the right word, the, the way the displays worked, in um, a lot of the technology, like how the virtual piloting thing or um, at the beginning when they were looking at the map and they had those trucks that were going by, it like it almost looked like it was like 3D sand in order to display. Yeah, it was really things. cool. That yes. was fantastic. And it looked amazing. So the, 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 it's, it, 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 the movie did shine in some places when it came to CG, but this, this one, it just maybe they ran on a budget. I don't know, but... Um, like you said, so the the final battles there, uh, Killmonger and T'Challa are going at it, and because of the sonic emitters, there are vulnerabilities in their suits from time to time. And so, uh, one of the uh, head of the spears is there, and so uh, T'Challa gains the upper hand and and uh, delivers the final blow, mortally wounding Killmonger at this point. And so. That's that. As the battle above continues, uh, Mbaku 
and the Jabari show up, and so they're able to kind of quell the uh, the border tribe, and so battles one up there. Everett uh, is able to take down the last ship by crashing into it, and so uh, you know everybody's done. The battle is over, and so uh, we have this one last scene where T'Challa takes Killmonger uh, out of the mine to look at the sunset of Wakanda, and he has this and uh interaction with him that i do want to play because there's an interesting point that he makes at the very end so let's listen to this and talk about it afterwards it's beautiful maybe we can still heal you So you could just lock me up. No. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. Yeah, so death is better than bondage. What do you think about that? That's, uh, I don't know. That's uh, the Israelites mm-hmm. when they were conquered by Babylon. Mm-hmm. You know, it was told to them that, you know, if they repent, that they could come back. As a matter of fact, I think Manasseh mm-hmm. was the king then, and he was an evil king. Okay. And he somehow, while he was in captivity, he uh, repented and came back to the Lord, came back to the God, and God gave him some kind of healing and allowed him to get out of bondage mm-hmm. later on. So I don't know. That's that's a hard question. I don't think death is good anytime because once you're dead, you can't do anything. You can't. Yeah. Uh, you can change lives one at a time. What about uh, Nelson Mandela? Mm-hmm. If he would have chose death instead of to live in prison, yeah, all the changes that he made once he got out of prison, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, those would never be. Yeah, there's, yeah, that that's a whole uh, another conversation that we could have about Nelson. Right. Mandela. Well, listen, you said three, four hours, and we're only about an hour and a half. Yeah, so. I know, I know. But this is, so this is what I would say, is that I think that we could uh, bring, bring God's law to bear on what he said, and kind of make a couple of distinctions there. Number one is, obviously, the reference that Killmonger was making is to the Atlantic slave trade, which, you know, I think a, uh, you know, consistent reading of God's law would say was definitely a wicked thing. Um, the Bible or God's law would classify that as man stealing, uh, chattel slavery. Um, that's yes. ma- man stealing, and God hates it so much that the punishment for for man stealing was death. That's how much God hates man stealing. So um, we can definitely agree with Killmonger that that was wicked and evil, right? The, yes. the but the other thing that he says it's really interesting to me is that you know T'Challa says, look, you know, we probably could save you. Let let's he offers that to him. And it's rejected because he said, what? What are you going to do to me? You're going to lock me up for the rest of my life? And 
I think that also we can also bring God's law to bear on that. And I do think that that is something that we haven't really talked about uh, as a society for a long time is that this uh, penal system that we have set up about putting people in cages to for crimes. Uh, I, I don't you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. If, if someone does something that is um, that that is a form of theft or destruction, or, uh, you know, the, the justice system is supposed to be restorative in a way. So, for instance, if somebody stole uh, a cow from somebody else, they give them back the cow, and then they give them the opportunity cost that was lost when it, while it was stolen. You know, it, you know, they, depending on the situation, you know, interest, right? You know, basically saying that, hey... I'm, right, sevenfold or right. tenfold or whatever. Right, so so the idea, theoretically, is like, say someone stole a smartphone from me, they should give me back the smartphone and then pay me back for all the money that I lost trying to track it down and everything like that. That That's how restorative justice t- would work. Nowadays, if they stole a, a smartphone from me, they would throw them in jail and they, where they, they can't make any money to pay me back and nobody's going to pay me back. Hopefully, if I have insurance on it, that I'll get some compensation from it. But that's not really what the purpose is for it. What what should happen is that person should pay back and then some. That that's how we don't lock them up in cages. That's not what God's word says. So, well, uh, they were put in uh, in the old times. They were put in prison until they paid back the loan. So they must have had some form of monetary or some way that they you know, were able to pay back the compensation. Well, I think you might be confusing, like, stuff that was happening in Roman times versus ancient Israel. So, but but what my point is, is that in, in the event that that person couldn't pay back, what they would have to do is they would have to go into servitude in order to pay it back. So, but the right, thing is... they would pay it back by that bondage. Right. But the, the, the part about it in ancient Israel is that there was always a time limit to those things after seven years everybody goes free and then the other part of it is the um you know they they had rights within you know you couldn't treat a slave you had to treat a slave a certain way and and if you if you transgressed those ways you were guilty right right and so yes there were things like so my point is is that Kiltmonger has a point about putting people in jail, and I, I and I think that we should have that conversation. Is that really a just thing to do, or is there a better way? And I think there is a better way. So, anyway, that that's that was kind of the only thing I wanted to to mention about that last clip because I do think that uh, there is there is something there, and I think he does have a point. Well, there is. Uh, I would say that uh, there's a redemptive factor. Mm-hmm. That uh, some people are totally evil and probably be, I can't say that that they're beyond redemption, Mm -hmm. but they, you know, God knows, you know, whether a person is going to heaven or hell. Uh Uh-huh. You know, he has that. And I got to believe that there, unfortunately, there are some people in this world that are pure evil. Oh, sure. And but do they deserve to be in bondage for the rest of their life, or should they get the injection? Right. So God you know, or yeah. the electric chair. Right. So we can go back to the law exactly as as a rubric for this because what, like I said, the the 
justice is supposed to be restorative. You know, you take something, you give it back plus extra, right? That That's how it's supposed to look. But there are some things you can't restore. You can't restore uh, somebody that you killed, right? I mean, there's no bringing them back to life at that point. So in no. those cases where it cannot be restorative, God says, uh, if you forfeit, if, if you take the life of somebody else, your life is forfeit, right? For the things that can't be restored, that the the just punishment in this world is death. And, and then uh, God will, uh, there is opportunity for redemption in the, the next life with God. He will, he will, do, the judge of all the earth will do right. Right. All right. So after the battle is over, T'Challa uh, regains the throne and he decides that instead of uh, opening up their borders and instead of be- uh, keeping the way things are, he decides to go around the world and have outreach centers and trying to uh, share technology and resources with uh, underserved communities to help them uh, advance. Right, which is, to me, uh, that is a good way of doing that because mm-hmm. there you're there and you're offering. Sure. You're making an offering and you're, you have some control over that mm-hmm. uh, that you're able to be able to tell if somebody is going uh, to attempt to use that for not good sure and you know or you're able to enrich somebody else that may become a doctor or you know anything mm-hmm. you know that they could do something that would make them a better person sure you know in some ways, I wish that we, it's a totally never going to happen thing, but something like the the Star Trek, uh, his uh, Roddenberry's ideas that, you know, all creatures are equal and the same, you know, even though that they're different, uh, we treat them all and accept them all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will never happen, but... You know, to some extent, I wish that parts of it would, you know. Well, I think there's a distinction between, um, you know, we don't have laws that uh, actively discriminate or favor a particular group of people over the other nowadays. We did, and those were wrong and unjust laws, and they needed to be gotten rid of. But uh, you can't legislate uh, what goes on inside a person's heart. And so you're, you're right. You're always going to have people that harbor, you know, hatred or they have, think of themselves as better than others because of their uh, ethnicity. And uh, that's wrong. It should be repented of. But, um, you know, no law is ever going to be able to stamp that out. Right. Just, well, I would say that it really doesn't need to be a law. It may, needs to be each one of us individually mm-hmm. Changing hearts one at a time. Sure. You know, somebody is going to think about your race or your color the way you choose to let the Lord's light shine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, how much money you have or how little money you have. You can be a positive light no matter what you do. Right. Uh, You are the one in control that God gives us a free will. Right. I'm saying we could do that one at a time. And I don't know. I think that we'd be a lot better off. Well, we have no control over what goes on in other people's hearts and we can't, we don't have the ability to change people's hearts. So that's, that's 
that's God's work. And all we can be responsible for is our own and just uh, ask for the grace and the mercy of King Jesus that will grant us the um, changed heart and that we will uh, let that be right. evident. We cannot make the change, but we can sure be the light to show mm-hmm. that something might need to change. Sure. Or to change somebody's opinion or thoughts of a situation or a type of person. Sure. What have you. Anyways, okay, so he tells his girlfriend he actually buys the building right, where uh, Killmonger was raised. Yes. And the one down the street and the one down the street from that. Yep. And him and uh, his sister, mm-hmm. the sister and his girlfriend are going to uh, get it started. Yep. And then his ship appears. Mm-hmm. And all the kids see it. Yep. And then it's a roll credit. Yeah, that's it. Thank God. Boy, <laughs> I know you went down so many rabbit holes. I'm so sorry. Right. We did. We do have uh, two post-credit sequences. The first one, um, just more continuing the story, T'Challa makes a speech to the UN saying that they're no longer going to be uh, hiding from the shadows and they're going to be able to be more public and they're going to share their resources and technology with uh, the rest of the world. And, and somebody says, what can sheep herders offer the world? Right, yeah. And uh, it was a good little scene there. Mm-hmm. And then the credits roll again. Yeah, yeah. And then at the very end, we get uh, so one of the kids calls him the White Wolf, which is uh, none other than uh, Bucky. He's, uh, he's returning to, uh, to the MCU, I guess. <laughs> yes, into society. Uh, yeah. He still doesn't have an arm. Right. But I think that they're... Uh, He's got uh, his mental state back. Yeah, he definitely seems a lot more uh, collected, which is a good thing. Yes. Yep, and, and then at the very end, you see that Black Panther will return in Avengers Affinity War. Which happens to be the next movie. Is it really? Yeah, well, look it up. That's what I looked up. I wow. might be wrong. Okay, that's um, that's really cool. <laughs> All right. That kind of blows you away, right? It really is. I, I It just, it seems to be going really fast in the MCU. So, okay, cool. Yes. And so, and if I'm not mistaken, hopefully we'll be together for this. Yeah. And uh, we might even have some guests. Yes, we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, but that yep. would be a good thing. Absolutely. All right. So I think we've pretty much discussed just about everything and beyond. We probably could even do more if we wanted to, but we're not... <laughs> We could, uh, I will spare our listeners the three to four hours. Sure. And uh, we've already gone way past what, well, we did go through a segment where we went way past this. So, yeah, we're not as bad as we've been before. Mm-hmm. But the only thing left to me now is the rating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I wanted to rate it higher, but. Uh, because of the CG, and uh, I'm going to go 7.5 on this one. Okay. You know, I kind of wanted to rate it higher, but it just brought too many bad memories of Catwoman there. So Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to give it an 8, um, only because of uh, all of the other parts around it. Like, I can excuse some of the CG, um because, like I said, I do think that other parts of the CG were spectacularly done. In fact, the end credits 
were amazing. I, I th- it's really up there for me for the end credit sequences. It's just uh, um, the way they did the animation there was uh, really cool. Well, it actually reminded me somewhat of Man of Steel. Uh-huh. You remember yeah, in the yeah. beginning sequence yeah. where they had that, and uh-huh. it was kind of the same type of thing. Yes. You know, very similar. So, uh-huh. yeah, that was good. Cool. I agree. All right. Yeah, but I, like I said, I think really what makes this movie really good for me is, number one, the performances and um, the the attention to detail. Like, we, we mentioned that, like, in Spider-Man Homecoming, how, like, the, the amount of work that went into creating this brand new nation that we've never seen before but they have to kind of make it a little bit grounded because it still is on earth and just the the amount of um detail and it's like they what makes it interesting to me is that like you have this nation but then you have like these tribes within the nation and they're all very differently and they all they all pull from different parts of africa with uh, the way the hair was done the costuming the jewelry it was um, really a celebration of the entire continent, which I really uh, appreciate them doing. I think they represented it very well. And uh, I think the performance at the box office does reflect that as well. So oh, anyway. Yes. And that- it was um, not only it was like old meets new. Some of the leaders chose to wear suits. Some yes. had uh, uh, more traditional wear. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was done well. Yeah, I like that. So anyway, that that's for me. Like I said, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, and it's definitely warrants a conversation about some of those other worldview issues that are brought up within it. And so, um, yeah, now more than ever, let's just keep our eyes open and let's use the word of God as our standard to measure those things by. Amen. I have to say that. All right. Good deal. All right. Let, let's, uh, let's close it up now. So... Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pops Collection. If you have any feedback, please email us at popscollectionpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, leave us a review on iTunes, and uh, we'll see you next week where we're going to be talking about Avengers Infinity War. Goodbye, God bless. Goodbye, God bless, and tell your friends. <laughs>